My guest for the day is a mixed-media artist nationally known for his work with paper sculpting. Art was always in the background as he floated through career after career, doing everything between spending years on a cruise ship to applying to Clown College. This is the Madisonian Podcast, and I'm your host, Ben Brown. I was interested in today's guest as soon as I saw some of his work. It is incredible. As an artist myself, my art is dance. I know how amazing it can be to simply hear someone talk about something they're passionate about, about their art. Michael and I mention incredible pieces he has created throughout the interview. If you would like to see pictures, click on the the link in the description of the episode you are listening to and enjoy the interview. I'm Michael Veliquet, and I'm a mixed media artist. I was born in Sandusky, Ohio in 1971. Um, Most people know Sandusky because of Cedar Point. It's a big amusement park. And my family had been based in Northern Ohio on both my parents' side for a couple generations. Uh, But then in the, what do I remember of Ohio? not much. I remember my first house. Um, I remember we had a huge playroom in the basement that got flooded once. It was devastating because I lost all my toys. <laughs> it's like my first real experience with loss. Um, and I remember this huge carpet we used to have that we would push together on either side and make a tunnel through the middle of it. It would make like a cave and we'd crawl through the middle of it. And that was like one of my favorite toys there, I guess, this huge carpet. Um, but then my folks moved to Florida in the in 76 or 77, um, and we moved to the Gulf Coast of Florida, a little town called Bradenton, south of Tampa. Um, and, and so was really, that was that a lot different than Ohio or? You know, I think I was really too young to register. Like, you know, when you're that age, everything's an adventure. And right. Everything was new. And um, so I... And I think we had visited, my dad had started working down there a couple of years before we moved. So we had visited down there. And so it was an, a sort of a familiar environment. But I think my real, I think I was maybe four or five when we first moved there. So really like my real formative memories of childhood are uh, in Florida. Right. So how, when did art come into your life? And when, when did you discover that you really had a passion for art and... Well, I think, you know, uh, people often ask sort of, were you creative as a child? They, I think it's a, it's a common art, uh, question to ask right, artists. Right. Um, did you make art when you were a kid? Um, I think like a lot of artists, I had a real kind of rich interior life when I was, when I was a kid. So um, I, used, I just would make, make costumes and build my own, built a lot of my own toys. Um, we lived, the housing development that we lived in um, was under construction. It was like sort of a new housing development. So we were one of the first homes built in this, it was called Pine Lakes in the late seventies. So really for most of my early childhood, our, our playgrounds were like these construction sites <laughs> where, where houses were being built. And so after, you know, after the, 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 
that home builders would leave at the end of the day, we would kids would just like descend on these like empty frame houses and just run crazy. And um, so I would collect a lot of like offcuts of wood, two by fours and stuff, and just scraps of wire and things. So I would build these kind of contraptions for my matchbox cars in the garage out of these like, you know, kind of crazy pieces of wood and construction materials. Um, so I think, you know, so early on I, I was, I, I was always into making things. Um, and, uh, and so, and I was also, I went to Catholic school when I was a kid. So I had a, a pretty, I wouldn't say strict religious upbringing. My folks were Catholic, but they weren't incredibly strict. Um, but I was very much like immersed in the Catholic religion. And so I had, um, just this sort of sense of, you know, being, I guess my, my sense was that, um, the, you know, in Catholicism, there are a lot of saints, you know, there's like a whole kind of pantheon of saints. And so I was also really into the justice league and the superheroes when I was a kid. And so in my mind, like, you know, the saints were all kind of like superheroes. They all had like different powers, you know, like maybe somebody got their eyes gouged out, but they had like special sight or whatever. Um, so I was just really, I was into sort of um, religion and spirituality in terms of these, 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 um, it, it just was something that was really kind of close to me. Um, and so, uh, so anyways, yeah. So then when I, I got into, when I got into college, um, I was not quite sure what I was going to do. Like a lot of people, um, was sort of interested in a lot of things, but not, not focused on any one thing. Um, and so I was a real generalist, uh, in high school. So when I got to high school, I thought I might go into, I thought it might be something artistic, but, um, I didn't, I didn't really know. So I, I thought I might be in a go, I thought I might be creative writer. Poetry was interesting to me. Um, but then I got really into anthropology classes that I was taking. So I took a two or three of those. Um, and then one night I was taking a break from writing a paper and I went over to my friend John's house and he was an art student. And I was, had just like written this really long paper. And I went to his place and he was working on a painting and in his living room. And I was like, is that, is that what your work is for your class? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, oh, I want to do that. <laughs> and so I think that sort of like clicked to me that I realized that, you know, one could have at that, I wasn't thinking about a career. I was just thinking about what would be interested, what would be more fun <laughs> to take in terms of my college classes. So, um, so that's that next semester I switched to almost exclusively all art courses. And my grades up until that point were like, eh, they were okay. You know, like I wasn't failing, but I wasn't really excited about anything. Um, in terms of like my, 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 my academics. But as soon as I got into my art classes, I was like hundred percent in, I was like all the way full on, you know, and that's all I wanted to do. And so that, I, and the reason I've stuck with it over the years is like, I've just never lost that interest in it. Like it always is the thing that keeps, I've done a ton of other kinds of, like a lot of artists, I've had a t bunch of other kinds of jobs and part-time jobs. And I've started other kinds of like pseudo careers and always came back to being an artist. Right. So after, out of college, what was next for you? Well, 
you know, in, in art school, especially in the early 90s, as an undergrad, like we didn't have any kind of like career services or professional practices kinds of courses that, you know, they kind of, with, which is great now, like in our, in the art department where I teach here at University of Wisconsin, you know, we have career services where students can take courses to figure out like, what's the next step? You know, how do you make a living as an artist? And I just don't think it was something that was thought about or talked about. I mean, there was a, a kind of romantic notion still that you, as an artist, you just figure out your own way and that it is just a path with a very open career, open, it's a very open path, right. basically. And it still is. I mean, I think in some ways, like career practices class gives students the false notion that they're going to succeed as an artist by making a living or however it is that they define it. But um, so uh, what happened was, uh, I was, I was at Florida State University in Tallahassee. And at a bunch of my art friends, they were, as they were graduating, it was just this Thing. I think my friend Steve was the first one. He's like, I'm going to go to Alaska and work on a fishing boat. And I was like, oh. And then like my friend Nicole followed him up there the next year, or the next semester. And then I think I had a couple other friends that went up, went up to Juneau. And so as I was finishing my degree, I, I didn't know any, I didn't know what I, I didn't want to move home. I didn't know anything about graduate school. Like no one in my art program even talked about getting an MFA, you know, I didn't even know it existed, to be honest. Um, and so I was like, yeah, Alaska sounds like a great adventure. So it was really like, it was really that simple. So I just packed everything up and I had a couple thousand dollars in like traveler's checks. <laughs> and um, that was all all my savings. And um, I flew to Alaska, I think maybe took a ferry from Seattle. And so then I spent a couple years then after my um, BFA just just sort of exploring really and trying to figure out, you know, like a lot of people just trying to sort of figure out who I was and, right. you know, so, what I wanted to do. <laughs> so what, what did you find in Alaska that what was, what uh, was next for you in Alaska? Oh, that's a good question. Um, what did I find in Alaska? Uh, I, I spent a lot of time hiking and I'd never been in that kind of nature before. So that was that, you know, you know, I'm sure, you know, people are listening to this have, have kind of been in a super immersive experience, you know, state with nature. Florida has beautiful beaches, um, but it, I'd never like hiked in mountains or, you know, been in glaciers or, and so I spent a lot of time out in nature and just found a kind of solitude that I think I'd never felt before. Um, I reconnected with my work. I think I, I set up a studio in my, in the room that I, in the house that I was renting. So I continued to make my work. And so I think that that was, um, that was making mostly paintings and drawings and like little collages and things that I could just make easily on the road without a lot of materials. I kept sketchbooks. So I think it was this like sense of, you know, that I could continue to make my art. Um, and that felt good that it, you know, kind of out of a academic situation or out of it without a, a proper studio space that the art was something so central to, to um, just how I operate in the world. Right. So, um, and uh, yeah, and those are the kind of the primary, you know, I, I think I, at that point, I didn't, I mean, I, 
I still to some degree have a tough time thinking about like five, 10, 15 years ahead. <laughs> it happened right. changes as I've gotten older. But at that point, it was really hard for me to think about, you know, more than two years ahead. So I was just kind of thinking about what the next thing was going to be, where I was going to go. Because I, I knew I wasn't going to stay in Alaska um, permanently. So, so where did, where did you take your art next? I mean, did, how did you, how did you, I, you, your art has obviously changed as you've gone on. So what was next um, after, how are you going to make a living out of it? Yeah, that still wasn't, um, making a living off my work, it, it still never. Wasn't on the radar. Yeah, I never had, um, I had models of art. So I only knew one artist in high school. My friend Cicely's dad was an artist. And, uh, and throughout all my high school, I only went to one, I went to one art opening. Um, of, and he had, he had these crazy abstract paintings that were inspired by the Mona Lisa, but they didn't look anything like the Mona Lisa. And that was my first experience, like at, a, at an art exhibition and in an opening. And I was just like, wow, this is like, looking back on it, I was like, I sort of thought it was like, oh, this is super weird. But I think I secretly kind of discount, you know, was being critical of it because I was like super intrigued by it at the same time. I was just like, I didn't understand it. And I felt like this is a world I don't, I want to know more about, but I, I don't know. So, you know, sometimes like if you're attracted to something, you're kind of critical of it <laughs> because you secretly want that thing. Um, so, uh, so again, it, it basically, I just didn't, I didn't think about it as a career because I didn't really have any models for it. And uh, besides my teachers um, and, and I didn't, and I never thought about myself as being like a college professor, um, you know, and aside from the, the, the role models I had were just these like bohemians, you know, that I was reading about in books, like I was reading like Ken Kesey novels and people that were just living like literally on the road or traveling like the merry pranksters traveling around in school buses and just, you know, stopping in cities and having adventures and that the art was just an extension of their lifestyle, you know? And so I think that's what my, what I sort of aspired to. Um, and I wanted my art to, it, at that point, the art was really just an extension of my, I didn't think about it as something I had to make to sell as much as it was, you know, an extension of just my experience and, you know, my, my sort of growing interest in spirituality. Like I, I wasn't practicing Catholicism anymore, but I still had like a, a sincere sort of interest in understanding like what the nature of the self was and, you know, those big questions that never leave you. And so my art was always a kind of a means to continue to explore that. Um, so, so what, so what were you doing to make a living? Like what, how were you paying the bills? I, um, so I got a job. Uh, so in, in, I've always worked in food, in, in, in the food industry and in restaurants, um, starting from like my first jobs, part-time jobs were as dishwashers and just restaurants. And then I would moved up to like assistant cooks. Um, so I had, um, I had a lot of restaurant experience. Um, and so in, in like in Alaska, I got a job uh, as a waiter in like a Tex-Mex restaurant. And, and then I worked, they had like, um, it's basically like, it was their, it was a food co-op. It was like the Willie Street co-op they had, but I worked in the kitchen and, and made their like daily specials and stuff. So I was always like cooking as was my part-time gig. And, um, and then a couple of years later after Alaska, when I moved back to Florida for a period. I was working in restaurants, but I started a private cooking business 
um, where I was, you know, cooking, I had like maybe six clients who were all, um, kind of had like special dietary needs. Like some were vegan, some were like raw foodists. It was all like basically on the health food spectrum. Um, cause that was the kind of food that I learned to cook the best was just vegetarian heart healthy kind of food. Um, so yeah, cooking's always been kind of like my fallback. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so where were you living at this time then? Um, so what happened was I, I left, uh, I, I was in Alaska for maybe, I, it always seems in hindsight that I, you were, you were in places longer than you were, but it was really like base. I was barely there a full calendar year. I arrived in January and I think come August, you know, my friend, I was living with my friend Amber and she took off with a guy and drove to Colorado and my friend Nicole was dating a guy who had a sailboat and so they were just going to go move to a sailboat and so I didn't have any other people there at the time that could move into the house with me and so my friend Ben he was from Pennsylvania um, he had a van that he had parked for some reason in Seattle and so he had the idea that we should hitchhike from Juno to Seattle to get his van <laughs> and then drive cross country wherever and so at the time it just also just seemed like a great idea I don't know what I was thinking but um you know it, was, it seemed fine at the time so we hitchhiked through British Columbia um as far as we could get to Seattle we got pretty far we almost got to the outside of Vancouver outskirts of Vancouver and then we um got dropped off outside of the airport for some reason and we literally just like walked into the airport and bought plane tickets and then flew the rest of the way so um anyway so i'd slowly made my way back to florida over about a year and a half and um when i was sort of in the process of um thinking about when i was starting the doing the cooking business i had at that point moved back to florida and was living in a little city south of called siesta key just a big little beach town community um, with my brother and I was cooking and, you know, again, I would sort of go through these periods and sort of land and try to figure out like what the next step was going to be. So I think I was maybe 23 or 24 by the time I got back to Florida. And, and were you doing, practicing your art? Were you doing your art at, at that point? I was, or? yeah. The art, art was always there. It was almost something like, um, sort of hard to explain, like it was always something that I never would stop doing. You know, it was sort of like I always had sketchbooks I carried. And, you know, we didn't, it was, this is pre-internet, pre-smartphones, pre-anything. And so like that downtime where now I'll pick up my phone and look at Instagram or whatever. Um, or if I would get up in the morning and look at the news, I would get up and draw. You know, that's that would always be like what my thing would be. And so I seemed like so I had a lot of extra time in that sense. And so I always filled that time with with making stuff. So I would always set up a small studio along the along the way, every little place I would live. And um, I mostly made collages, you know, and uh, my big thing was I would like to go to I loved going to thrift stores and just finding old books and um, and just things I could cut up. And uh, and so I was making a lot of collage collage works and. Um, I had a small paint set I would carry with me and just paint on wood that I would find in the garbage, basically. Uh, or I'd go by construction sites still and, and look in like their dumpsters and get like offcuts of wood and things like that. So it was mostly things I would make um, and leave where I was at, wherever I was living. I painted rocks for a long time. It was a thing that I would do. I'd collect like just rocks and 
boulders, you know, sort of small size boulders I'd find on the road and then just paint them and then go put them back where I found them. Um, so it was really just sort of like, um, I, I didn't think of my art as, as something separate at the time from my everyday experience. Right. right. Yeah. So, so when did you start creating like the sculptures with your paper? Well, what happened was, um, the, the, the kind of change in the way I sort of perceived what my, how art would, could be in my life or like how it could, how it could, how I could make more of a career out of it. What happened is I was living in, I was living in Florida and I had a bunch of roommates at the time who were students at New College in Sarasota, Florida. And they were all graduating with their bachelor's degrees. They weren't, one was an artist, but another one was like a lit theorist and other things. And so they were all in the process of applying to graduate school. And I was like, oh, what's that? You know, like where, and so I, I was sort of in the mix of these people who were preparing for this like next step. And I was, I, you know, I, don't, I was, I was cooking. I, I did a bunch. Of, I was like, I applied to go to clown college. <laughs> I, I, I did, you know, I was, I don't know what I was thinking. Um, I was just what, looking for the, what the was, next adventure. <laughs> what's, what is clown college? Well, um, cl it's exactly what it is. It's a college to learn to be a clown. Um, you, I don't even know if it's open or not because it used to be run by Ringling Brothers. And I think that I don't, I would have to check to see if it's still something. But um, the Ringling Brothers Circus had a home base in Florida. And um, and so they they would regularly audition. You would audition to become a student at this college. I don't know how long it was, maybe a two year program or one year, one or two years where you would, you know, learn the art of clowning. <laughs> I mean, it's a serious business. You know, yeah. it involved a lot of like gymnastics and aside from like face painting but like it's a lot of physical comedy and improvisation and it's like a serious thing i didn't have any background in it at all and so you know it's not surprising i got rejected but um so but the funny the thing is i applied to clown college around the same time i decided to apply for graduate school in my in art and uh for my mfa and i got rejected from clown college, but I got into an MFA program. <laughs> so I figured, I mean, they actually aren't that different in some ways. So I, that's when, that's how I decided. And that's when like, you know, I, I had a friend at the time who I said, I was gonna either go to macrobiotic cooking school and get a license or a certificate to be like a legit macrobiotic chef, or I was gonna go get my MFA in art. And he was smart enough to, to recognize that like my true, the, the thing, the my true path was my artwork. And even though I'm a really good cook, like that would have just been a job, but that my art was really more of a vocation. And so he said, he said, he encouraged me to get, to apply for my MFA and to not pursue cooking school. And so, uh, and so I did. And then, and that kind of, you know, once you're in your, once you go to graduate school, you know, the the sense that like you're doing this thing to build a career is very much part of the kind of language and the experience of the program whereas as an undergraduate it doesn't necessarily but so so how did you choose madison oh man it was a, a very critical decision like every decision i've made i had a friend that was in vet school here and she said it's pretty you'll like the trees and i'm like sure <laughs> okay i'll apply and so i came to visit and um I was also interested in it again in experiencing a place I'd never been before. Like I had never been 
as much as I traveled around the country, I'd never been to the Midwest, this part of the Midwest. And, uh, and, and so I came to visit, I was like, oh, it's, I don't know what it, it just, it felt very different to me. The, this would have been in 97. Um, and I mean, there was the winter, of course, which is a big deal, but it was, it was just something about the way, the way, the, you know, the, the, the Midwestern accent, the, the way that, how, how clean it was as a, compared to Florida, or sort of organized. And there were just a lot of things about it that seemed, that were just different enough that it seemed like I was interesting to be, it seemed like a foreign, like I was going to a foreign country or something. Right. But, uh, but yeah, and, and uh, the winter was actually something I looked forward to because I like extremes. So, so how was the graduate program? The graduate program here was, uh, it was, it was a good experience for me, um, you know, in hindsight, like what I, it was a, it's a longer program than others. It's three years. It still is three years uh, as opposed to two years. And so it, it, it gives you a little bit more time to figure things out. Um, I, I had a studio, which is great. It was the first time I'd have a formal studio space again since I was an undergrad. So that felt great having my own like dedicated workspace. Um, and uh, I, I mostly did, I was mostly doing video work at the time and sort of some performance video pieces and some installation art, mixed media stuff. It wasn't, there's a, a sensibility to what I'm doing now that to what I did then but formally they were very different um they were these big kind of mixed media installation pieces with um you know a lot of found objects and it was more performance based i was sort of interested in this idea of you know my art the the sort of blurred line between my art and life and so i would like live in my studio for a couple of days at a time and just constantly create whatever i wanted to make or whatever and then my my work became the kinds of things that I was just making out of out of these long durational work sessions, and so nothing I have anymore there. You know, they, it could have been a doodle on a napkin, or it could have been like a landscape painting. It was a really wide range of stuff. So totally, um, yeah, yeah. But the, I mean, what I took away is I had a uh, my friends the, the the professional relationships or the personal relationships I developed. I think a lot of people will say this in graduate school are the what really stuck with me. So my my closest art friends are friends that I made in graduate school that I still, even though they don't live here, I still talk to them almost every day or once a week or something. And we still show each other our work and they're my favorite artists. So you were just inspired by the charm of Madison and you decided to stay after graduate school or what was that yeah, no, thinking I've, process? It, um, <laughs> I wish it were that. That's a great way to phrase it. Um, I left actually thinking I would never come back. And uh, <laughs> I was like, smell you later. Um, I, I, uh, what did I, I, I was, I, I was trying to find a job in Miami and, um, and again, this, I just, I, I was, it's, I, I have, I think a lot of artists have kind of short-sighted isn't the right term, but in terms of like long-term life planning isn't something that arrived, something that kind of happened to me 
you know, until like my mid to late forties. <laughs> right. um, but at the time I, I was, I was, I wanted to move to Miami and just to be kind of close to my family though, it's still far, far enough away. And, uh, I was, uh, applying for these video production jobs in my, cause I had these skills as a video editor and I ended up getting a job with Royal Caribbean cruise lines because they were, they have video production, um, suites and they have a whole video production teams that are work on the ships. Um, just doing everything from, you know, running the cable TV service to like videotaping, like belly flop competitions, you know, like everything. Um, and so I got a job right out of graduate school working for Royal Caribbean. And so like, I left Madison, I flew to Florida, dropped off my stuff, and then like flew to Antigua and got on a ship and worked on the ship for a couple of years. And we... What was that like? I mean, I don't know. I've never talked to someone who's worked <laughs> on a cruise ship for years. I mean... Have you been on a cruise ship? No. Oh. I well, have not. they're like, I mean, I haven't been in the military, but I always talk, I always kind of describe it as kind of like if Las Vegas had a military service, like <laughs> um, that's what it sort of felt like because... It's regimented. I mean, it's a ship. And so there's a hierarchy and they're officers and everyone has a, a kind of a rank in some ways and a position. And so you there are a lot of rules you have to conform to as a as a, a crew member, a staff member. Um, so I lived in like a little cabin um, and had a uniform and you'd have you know, safety drills. And so there's all of that kind of technical side of it because you have to learn how to function and live on a ship and then also be someone that can help if the ship sinks or if something terrible happens, whatever. Um, right. So there's that. Um, and then, you know, then there's the whole side of it, like, you know, like Charo comes on, you know, as like the entertainer. And so like, and then, so there's that, that side of it too, which is really exciting. And you're always going, like I did, we were in the Caribbean for a while and I did uh I was in Hawaii for a while and Alaska. Strangely, I was in Alaska. So I meant to say that things in my life often happen in cycles and two rounds. And so like I, I ended up going back to Juneau, Alaska, where I lived on the cruise ship, like, you know, 10 years later. Um, and I've lived in Florida a couple of times. And so then um, what happens, I got off the ship finally because it was another kind of moment where I was like, do I want to have a career as a, as a video technician on Royal Caribbean, which I could have stayed they were just, they had just started building these like ginormous ships. I don't know if you've seen them, but they have like ridiculously huge, like they can't even right. do the Panama Canal. They're so huge. Um, uh, but I had some friends, a lot of my friends from Madison were from San Antonio, Texas. And so they moved to San Antonio and started making work and started teaching at community colleges and finding, just started to build their careers as artists. And, and they, and so I decided to get off the ship and I, moved to San Antonio. And uh, that's where I started really building my kind of art career and showing I had a studio and I was making work and, and showing it at local galleries and getting into a couple of shows, like got into a couple of museum shows. And that's where I started kind of developing my my art career. That's more kind of closely in um, in the, the kind of timeline of where I am now with what I do. Um, and so then how I ended up back in Madison is in 2004, Five, uh, my advisor, um, Lori Beth Clark, she asked if I would come back and teach for the summer. And, uh, and so I came back and taught a summer class. And my husband is a chemistry professor here. And he just moved here that summer also. And so we met that summer. And so um, then I did like a long distance situa situation for a couple of years. And then eventually it just 
I moved back to Madison. <laughs> so I've been back here for like 13 years now. And so tell me, what's it like? I mean, as an artist, just how do you tell us about, well, I want to hear about the process step-by-step step of how you make your your work, but I also want to hear about how you like distribute, or not distribute it, but how you show it, exhibit it, however you get it out to to museums or however you show it well uh how i i'll talk a little bit about sort of how i how work gets shown um and then i can tell you a little bit about my process perfect um, so what generally happens is i mean all artists have different stories of course but the kind of general model kind of the general story that happens is you know artists are in their, they find the time in their life to make their work. They find a space to make their work, whatever they need. Not everyone's a studio artist, but a lot of people who make art need spaces. So they'll find a little space. And you just, you just start making, well, this is how I learned. It's a little different now because of social media, but you basically make your work. You find the time, you carve out however many hours a day you can to do it. And nobody's looking. And or you're in a st shared studio space with other artists, whatever, but you're primarily like you're just making your thing happen on its own. You know, I always say like the work's not going to make itself. Um, and so then what usually happens is a couple of things can happen. You can either start, you can meet other artists and build a community of people. Then suddenly they, they'll see what you're doing and you're seeing what they're doing. Um, I always I always say what benefited me is that I was in a community in San Antonio when I really started getting serious in my work that had um, a lot of art galleries and museums and just art and art, a lot of artists. Um, and then, you know, in spaces where people could exhibit their art, some that were, you know, very slick commercial art galleries and some that were just like a space in someone's house, you know, where they would just open up the door and have a gallery. And so what happens is, Usually what happens for artists is, you know, artists kind of find each other um, and that you go to the other openings and you meet the other artists or you meet the people that run the galleries. And then, you know, eventually you invite them to a, to see your studio or they already know of your work from someone else. And then you usually will have get invited to, you know, maybe put a piece in a show. Sometimes it's a group show where you like have one piece with 10 other artists. Um, how it happened for me is that I... I was very much doing all of those things. Um, and then I met a couple of artists who had a space that they, an exhibition space that they rented and organized themselves. Um, and they were open to um, show proposals. And so I had them over for a studio visit and they asked me if I wanted to do a show. And so that was kind of like my first, that was probably 2002 maybe. It was like my first like solo exhibition. And so what happens is like, then you start building from there, you know, um, and if it's, it's, it's helpful if you've got like a strong, if you're in a city that has like a strong art community that has a lot of opportunities for artists to show their work. And, you know, then and it, is that the case in Madison? Um, it depends on who you ask. Um, I think Madison has a lot of opportunities. It does have the, it, it has, I think more artists having to create their own opportunities than there are like institutions providing opportunities for artists. I mean, we have, we have spaces here that are organized by other artists. Like the art lit lab is a great example of that. 
Um, and uh, I'm sure there are others that are just, I'm not thinking of right now. I know there are a couple on East Washington where, where artists kind of create their own spaces, whether they're studios with exhibition spaces. You know, and then you have like, you know, the Chazen and Museum of Contemporary Art. Those are kind of like on the other side of that spectrum, right? Those are institutions that are like collecting art, but then, you know, but there's what Madison has always lacked is sort of a mid-range space where there's like commercial spaces that sell art. And so there, there are a lot of opportunities for artists to make art here. Um, also the Dane, the Dane, um, Madison Arts Commission and the Dane County Cultural Affairs Commission, they do offer opportunities for artists to create works in the public sphere. Um, you might see like those vinyl wrapped utility boxes all around town. Like that was an initiative. I've got a couple of those around. That was an initiative yeah, from yeah, the Madison Arts that. Commission. Yeah. Um, and so, and they've done good and they've, they've helped, you know, the, the Madison Library, the city of the library system has been really supportive of artists. Um, I just did a public piece for the new Penny Library on Cottage Grove Road, a big metal piece. Um, but what Madison is always kind of, and so I think if you're an artist who does, you know, public art or you do um, art that has more of like a social practice to it, um, meaning you're not like making things to sell necessarily, then you've, there tend to be opportunities here. But if you're someone who's like a st more of kind of a traditional studio artist, like I am, where I'm making things that eventually I'm hoping people buy, um, there isn't, that doesn't exist in Madison. So there are no commercial galleries that I could sell my art. And so, um, so my, I still have gallery representation in Texas from when I lived there still. And so most of the things I make, I sell through my art dealer in, in Houston. So I guess, uh, could you tell us about the process of making your art then? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, and I'll say probably there's a lot more territory to cover that I, if, you know, I'm probably, I've probably missed a lot of territory talking about like how people get their art into the world. I think the crux of it, I always tell students who ask, you know, is that you become a good citizen of whatever art world you end up in, whether it's like in Boise or it's in New York, you know, like you go out, you show up, you meet other people. And that's the way that you will build a career by just becoming someone who's known and visible. Um, but it's also a fine line. Like you don't want to be the person who like only shows up at art events and doesn't make their art, you know, and there are pl plenty of artists who are like, are interested in being that kind of artist. Um, and so, um, yeah, so, but how I make my work is um, it, it really, it kind of, it, let me see, it just sort of depends on the, the piece. Um, I think the, the most important I think that the thing for me is that I have um, I have a really whatever work I'm making I have a, a very um, consistent work schedule. So I try to be in the studio every day for at least five to six hours, um, sometimes longer, sometimes shorter. But um, so I am here every day, and so one of the things that makes the work happen is that I I'm, I do show up every day, and I'm always and most of the artists that I know who are still making art or that are engaged in their art practice do prioritize it. Um, and so, so I, I think the first thing, how my art gets made is I make the time to make it, which is a hard thing for people to do sometimes. Right. Um, the paperwork, if that's, you know, kind of what, what you've seen. And I, yeah. mo I think in, in recent years, most people, if they know my work, you know, in the last couple of years, or if they've just discovered it in the last couple of years, they know me for the paper sculpture that I make. Um, yes, I, yes, but also if you have any other types of art that you would like to sh share with us, 
then feel free. But I don't know. That's the type. That's the. It's what I've seen. You make and it's incredible. So I was just wondering oh, about that particular. <laughs> well, that work. That work starts with. It, you know, like an actual piece that I'm sit down to work that I've never made before. Um, what I usually do is it starts with uh, an idea I have about a shape or a particular three dimensional form. So I'll say I'm a sculptor is my, my, my kind of formal training. If I were to sort of say like from my earliest works as an undergrad, like I was always like interested in making things in three, three dimensional form. Um, and so I've always think spatially. Um, and so I will, how, how a piece usually starts for my current work is I'll have an idea. It's a little different now because I've been working on them for a couple of years. And so I have like a language and a, a kind of series of like habits and, an, and a kind of a, a knowledge and a, a skill set for how they get made. And so they bec they've become more sophisticated because I have that to sort of start on. But generally they start with like an idea I have for like a shape. It could be just like a, a circle and it's like sometimes it's as simple as how can I get the circle to fit with this square in a novel way? And so I'll start cutting pieces of paper out, small pieces. We're talking like, you know, the size of like a quarter or dime. These are small, like three quarter inch circles or not big or half inch circle diameters. And then I'll play with those. And then, um, then I'll start thinking about them three dimensionally. And so usually what happens, I have a little piece I can people aren't going to be able to see it, but usually we'll start by making a small piece that I can just hold in my hand. Um, that's, you know, maybe two inch or three inches in diameter. And then, and then, uh, and then I, then I usually, so I usually start in the center and then I build down and, and then from there, you know, I'll have a relatively complex shape, you know, for, for instance, the piece I'm working on right now, it was, it was sort of inspired by, I was just had just watched a documentary on Carl Fabergé and these beautiful kind of ornate Fabergé eggs. And so I was interested in this sort of ornate egg-like shape. So I created this paper sort of egg form. And then I make pieces that respond to that. And so, um, and then they build usually out from the center out. So the easiest way to describe it is it's sort of like, um, it's like, so people ask, well, what do your works look like? So if you're not, you can't see them. Some people call them three-dimensional mandalas. So if you know mandalas is a, a symmetrical pattern is balanced on all four sides. And so usually in many cultures that use mandalas, those are actually flat representations of what's envisioned as a three-dimensional form. And so, uh, so my works are very symmetrical. Um, they have a lot of pattern and repetition. They're radial often, so they start in the center and sort of move out. Um, sometimes people call them refer to them as like three-dimensional uh, sort of models for imaginary cities. And so if you're not quite sure, they almost look like they're like a, a small architectural model for like a, a temple, some sort of mystical temple or some sort of strange palace or, 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 or castle. Um, and so, um, so as I'm, as I'm building them, it's, 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 it's almost like if you had a, a model kit, for how to build like a crazy eccentric paper palace, but it didn't come with any directions. <laughs> it just came with all these parts. And so that's kind of like what making them is about. Like I'm I'm sort of like making them without directions as I'm going. And a lot of it's, and what I love about it is, um, I mean, I love a lot of things about it, but what, why I keep doing it is because it, they look, they are really time intensive. They're very labor intensive. 
but there's a lot of improvisation. They look like they have a floor plan or a rules that I'm following or, or plan some sort of draft that I'm following, but I'm making it up as I go. And so I often talk about it as kind of like a slow motion improvisation, you know, like I, I, I literally am making this thing, like it might take me, you know, six hours to make, you know, a three inch square area. But, um, and I make drawings as I'm figuring them out sometimes just to help kind of the engineering process. But I love the not knowing. Right. Yeah. And I don't know what it looks like until I finish it. You know, I mean, I have a sense of what it's going to be, but. Right, right. Yeah, I like that surprise. Yeah. Well, um, that pretty much wraps it up. So if, uh, is there anything else you want to say to the listeners? I wish them all good health and happiness and kindness, and I hope they're all well. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also, where can we find uh, your art or pictures of your art online? So you can find my work on my website, though it's kind of outdated, um, which is my last name, Um I'm much more active on Instagram. Um, so there you'll, that's probably more fun than looking at my website because I post a lot of images of things in progress. And, um, and so, you know, if, 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 you know, in terms of it's, it's a lot harder to describe, it's a lot easier to see. And then you can see the tool, people often have questions about the tools that I use and the processes. And I also post a lot of pictures of the things that inspire me and that I look at for as visual references or just things that I'm excited about right, and that right. make me want to make more. <laughs> right. So, yeah. The Madisonian Podcast is a production of Benjamin Brownie in association with We Are Productions. It's hosted by me, cover art, editing, producing, and booking by Ben Brown. If you are a Madisonian and would like to be on the show, email us, benjaminbrowneyproductions at gmail.com. Please support us by our merch, teespring.com slash stores slash the Madisonian Podcast, or click the link that I supplied you in the description. Check out this past week's bonus episode and keep an eye out for this week's bonus episode with restaurateur chef Itaru Nagano.